What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Join me for weekly conversations on purpose with women who have found it and are impacting their worlds with it. I mean, we know this as a society, like women, women in our bodies and our sexuality has always been in the forefront of like every, you know, you're either too skinny, you're either too fat, you're either too pretty, you're too ugly, there's always issues surrounding our bodies. So most definitely shame has always been, in, you know, part of my life. And I speak to women who are building businesses, have turned their passions or side hustles into careers, or have dedicated their lives in service of others. I hope that by collecting these stories, I can offer you tangible lessons on how to discover, build, and grow purpose in your own lives. So let's get started. Today, I'm talking to sex and body positive advocate, Jasmine King. We are discussing some mature themes in this episode. So if you're in a shared space or you have children near you, you might want to put some headphones in. Jasmine uses her platform, Jazz Explains, to educate Southeast Asians about topics like consent, pleasure, sexual health, and forming healthy, intimate relationships. She is also the host of the podcast, I Wish Someone Told Me, which discusses all the things you've always wanted to ask about sex, intimacy, and your body. Jasmine and I talk about dealing with shame about our bodies and our pleasure, the pleasure gap, intimacy, and how to have healthy conversations about sex with our partners and also our children. I hope you have as much fun listening to this as I did chatting to Jasmine. So let's dive in. Jasmine, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I've actually been wanting to have a conversation about uh, body positivity, sex positivity, and intimacy for some time. So thank you so much for agreeing to have this chat. And since you and I got connected, I've now been following you across your platforms and listening to your podcast, I Wish Someone Told Me, which, which I love, by the way. I really love your work and the way you approach these conversations because it's completely non-judgmental. Um, it's also not clinical. Um, and it's, it's honest and it's very smart. And I think that's important because while we can have fun with these conversations, we, we should also be taking them a little bit seriously. Um, they're important, important conversations. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks for having me and thank you for stalking me in all my different <laughs> platforms. I'm, I feel very honored when someone tells me they stalk me. I'm like, yes, <laughs> stalk me more. <laughs> Yes, I have been stalking you. Um, maybe that's the that's when we know we've made it, right? One day, maybe someone will tap me on the shoulder and say, "Elena, I've been stalking you, and uh, I was wondering if you'd like to have a conversation with me on my podcast." And then I'll be like, "Yes, <laughs> exactly. I'm there." <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to start off by asking you um, my favorite question, uh, which is the question I ask all of the guests on my show. And that is, what does purpose mean to you? Hmm. Purpose to me means a sense of fulfillment. I think like a sense of fulfillment, a sense of kind of like um, sort of this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is, I mean, for, for me personally, a purpose for me is to sort of 
um, connect with more people and just really break the sense of shame and stigma and, you know, with regards to our bodies and its yeah. basic needs, you know, like when we talk about sex and pleasure, everybody just gets really tense up. Like, Oh my God, like she's really sexual. Or she's just crazy about sex. She's a sex addict. And I'm just like, I'm just having a conversation. <laughs> I'm just trying, like, I mean, this is the reason why we need this sort of like conversation. So, Basically, that's what purpose means to me, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of being able to help people, but more so it means to help myself to understand my identity as a woman, as a Malaysian, um, just, you know, as a human being. You mentioned shame just now and that you want to remove shame from these conversations. Have you ever felt shame about your body or been shamed about your body or your sexuality? Oh, yeah. Like most definitely, I think I've always been, um, I've always been plus size ever since I was young. And I remember being, I think eight or nine years old and it was during my grandma's birthday party. And then I was about to take the, my first bite of cake. And my uncle just looked at me and said, do you, are you sure you want to take that bite of cake? And so that was just like, I felt so much guilt. I felt so much shame. I was only eight or nine yeah. years old and I literally took my took the house keys because my grandma is you know she lives next door that literally just took the house keys and went back home and that was kind of like my first sort of thought of like shame surrounding my body you know being super insecure and of course like growing up I mean we know this as a society like women women and our bodies and our sexuality has always been in the forefront of like every you know you're either too skinny you're either too fat you're either too pretty or you're too ugly just always issues surrounding our bodies so most definitely shame has always been in you know part of my life and you know I think as, as an adult now there's also that shame of like pleasure that shame of like wanting what you want because otherwise if you want something you are deemed as ah oh, like such a H-O-E or W-H-O-R-E, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, particularly with girls. It starts so young, this idea that their bodies or they need to look a certain way to be acceptable. And it's an impossible standard because, as you say, they're criticized for being too pretty, they're criticized for being too thin, they're criticized for being too big. And it starts as young as eight years old. Um, and those those kinds of feelings just stay with us Um they can stay with us forever. And I don't think that if you were a plus size boy, anyone would have said anything about you helping yourself to another piece of cake. I think also men have their own challenges too. Um, I think like I can imagine if you're sort of like a plus size guy or a boy, there's always yeah. that sense of like shame, like, oh my God, do people actually want to have sex with you? Are you yeah. even attractive in the eyes of like women or like, well, are you desirable? You know, there's always this obsession towards having a six pack. Um, yeah. I mean, we all have this different, different layers of like just trying to unpack and, you know, just trying to understand. But I think more so like with women, especially, you know, with like the media and also, you know, this whole beauty industry too. Yeah. That catered towards women and now unfortunately also to men men as yeah. well right so you had a previous life in radio uh how did you transition from your from radio to your current work how did you begin this journey into advocating for sex and body positivity 
Yeah, so I was previously、um, in radio, and I was not the voice of the radio. So I was mostly the back end of the radio, kind of project management, and you know that sort of thing.、Um, and then I sort of went to my current day job right now. So I work in a talent management company. But in terms of advocacy, I started sex positive advocacy in 2018.、Um, that was when I sort of kind of figured out that I just needed something that、I、can call my own, like a personal passion project.、Um, not just a passion project, but also like a project that is meaningful, that has purpose, that I have a purpose in my work and my worth, and not so much in my work, but like、um, purpose in like how I live my life, essentially.、Yeah. So、um, I had to sit with myself and just think about, you know, what is something that I've been passionate in, that I've been really like, that I truly, truly believe in, and that is in sex education. Like ever since I was young, I've always felt like really unfair that like my friends were pressured into, you know, having sex or engaging in like sexual activities, and I feel that that's there's something wrong. Also, the the town where I grew up in, so I grew up in Sabah. Which is in East Malaysia, right? And so the town where I grew up in, there were a lot of stories of teenage pregnancies happening and teenage girls and boys being taken out of school because the moment you get pregnant out of wedlock, you have to, you know, you have to get married because it brings shame to the family. So I found that really problematic. And yet, you do not want to educate young people about sex education because it will encourage them to have sex. But then, when they already had sex and now you know have unwanted pregnancy, and then you say like, "Oh, why didn't why didn't anybody teach them?" So I mean, like the whole idea was just really problematic for me. So now, as an adult, I was just like, "Okay, that's something I'm really passionate in, and what am I good at?" So like, I'm good at connecting with people. I'm good at you know social media and everything like that. So I kind of what I did was I just marry all of it and just continue doing it、um, until today. So. Yeah, so it's not just a passion project. It's like a project with a purpose that I see fulfillment within myself to keep on moving. And yeah,、doing. and it's so important. So thank you for doing this.、Um, when you were growing up in Malaysia, did you have no sex education at all in school? I think in terms of school, and this is true for a lot of Malaysian. I think we will remember. Um, Form three science chapter three where we talk about pres-、uh, reproduction.、Okay. So that it, that is the page of the textbook that has the naked bodies on it, right? <laughs> that is, I mean, maybe like a very like subtle naked body. It's not really like fully, fully like anatomically different. I mean, we don't even know how a vulva actually looks like, you know.、Uh, but we just remember it, like, okay. They won't show you the actual vulva, but it will show you inside of our body the reproductive fallopian tube and like you know, and also like、uh, for the male pe for the penis, it's like what's inside the penis and stuff and the reproductive organs.、Um, and then they will talk to you about contraception, and that's pretty much it.、Um, but in terms of like my family, for example, my parents, my mother, she does give a sense of sex education, but it's more like a fear based. Type of sex education, like you know, you're a girl, you know, kind of don't be too close to boys, or don't give boys the wrong impression, or kind of like the outfit that you're wearing, make sure it's covered up, and you know, if anybody cat calls you on the street, ignore them. You know, that's sort of like this kind of sex education that generally I had, and I'm just like, but that's not enough. There should be more. 
for sure. And the whole conversation around women, especially young women or girls, being told to modify their behavior so that they are not a target for catcalling or unwanted behavior from men, that is also problematic and needs to change. So now, in your work of educating Malaysian adults about sex and and body positivity, what are some of the issues or side effects, if you like, that you see of this kind of sex education, or at least the lack of complete sex education in Malaysia, um, has had on on their adult sex life? I think when I when I started and throughout my whole journey, there's sort of three years, I think, I would say, yeah, three years of me going through this sex education journey and empowerment. I think th- that's the main thing that I wanted to sort of advocate is sexual empowerment and, and you know, being able to talk about consent and boundaries and pleasure and, you know, all these things. And what I found is that a lot of people, they actually, they actually want to talk about these things because a lot of times what people ask me is, and this was part of your question as well, is, is there, are they pushback, right? Are they pushback? Do people like, you know, send you all these mean things because we're in Malaysia, it's a conservative country. Interestingly enough, I don't get a lot of pushback. I do get the occasional like, oh, Jasmine, does that mean you're like, you're a sex addict, blah, 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 like that. But then, then you kind of know that you don't really have to talk to those people, right? Yeah. But more often than not, people come up to me and say like, oh, I feel really safe that I have this space. Oh, I didn't know this and now I know. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always been ashamed and now I know that it's actually normal to have all these things or like, oh, you you help me in not, in, you know, not putting myself in risk because we do have this, you know, um, a sex-related injury or risk and it does happen. Like I talked to some of the people who went to my workshop and was just like, oh, you know, I... I did this with my husband and I had to go to the hospital. I need to get a neck brace. Uh, but then I never told my husband about it. I never told anybody about it. I told people that I, it was just because of the pillow and, you know, and I'm, just, I, I got really worried listening to that. Right. Like, I mean, it's an injury that could potentially hurt you up to a point you have to take neck braces. So, I think in general, it has been a really positive thing. And I'm really glad that more and more people are really coming together, even if they're not talking about it, even if they're not asking me questions. The fact that they come into like either my clubhouse rooms or be part of my Zoom conversations whenever I have a panel discussion or like a class, they just come in and listen. And that it's in itself is really fulfilling for me personally in normalizing the conversation, but hopefully it helps them in some ways as well. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, no, it's it's really helpful. And I mean, I'm really interested that most of your feedback has been really positive. I mean, certainly from the community, I can understand that there are a lot of people who want to have these conversations. But you also mentioned that you have been doing some education work in schools. And I was wondering if you were getting like official pushback from maybe you know, education providers or the Ministry of Education or asking you to, you know, confine your discussion to certain things because it's such a taboo t- topic and Malaysia is still very conservative. Yeah. Um, so, so a few years ago before COVID, I was a part of like an organization where we go into schools, primary schools, where we teach girls ages um, 9 to 12 years old about 
um, age-appropriate comprehensive sexuality education. So that's the whole term, right? So when people think about sex education, people will think like, oh my God, you're teaching young kids on how to have sex or different positions. But it's not about that. So comprehensive sexuality education is about age-appropriate education where you teach where you teach kids about their body parts or their bodies in general, about, you know, what are these, these emotions that you're feeling? And as they grow older, it's about... Um, safe and unsafe touches about healthy and unhealthy relationship or boundaries and all this really empowering them. So when it comes to pushback, I think the moment that particular program, like when, when they, cause I came in as a volunteer and this was a program under, you know, that was, that was, um, accredited or supported by the Ministry of Education. And we went into public schools. We went into government schools and not necessarily private schools, right? And I think it's just really important for us to sort of show them this is exactly what we're teaching. And it is by the UN standards because we did follow the UN standards and, you know, the basic education, comprehensive sexuality education, CSE. Um, and so we show them everything. And I think, yeah, I mean, we follow the guideline. I think that's the most important thing is that there's a proper guideline and that we're following. So I'm, I'm pretty sure parents do question like exactly what is that, that, that you guys are teaching my kids and stuff like that. But then, you know, like we're open. We will show them this is exactly what we're teaching. We're also teaching about addiction. We're also teaching about, um, I mean, when it comes to like drug addiction or porn addiction or just different, different types of addiction and just understanding also accepting different bodies and different cultures, different identities. So these are the basic things that's part of that curriculum. Um, and by doing so, by educating, I think, parents and also the Ministry of Education, people in power, they then would be like, okay, well, this is important. And it's true. It is important. Yeah. I mean, in particularly in a multicultural country like Malaysia, having conversations about body and culture, I think, is um, is extremely important. Exactly. Um, yeah. So let's move on to the conversations you're having with adults. Um, what are some of the stereotypes around pleasure and particular particularly female pleasure um that you would like to bust that we're complicated <laughs> that it takes a long time for us to come to have an orgasm that what we see in porn is kind of like why is that in porn the women in porn it's so easy for them to have an orgasm at the same time as men but then in reality, why are we taking so long? And because of this sort of shame and guilt and fear and kind of really so much guilt, like we're taking so long that then in the end, we're just like, okay, you know what? You just finish. And then, uh, you know, I'll take care of myself later. Or like, you know, or like when our partners are like, no, I, I want you to finish. And you're like, okay. But then you, we kind of feel uncomfortable. Like, I mean, I'm saying we, but I'm talk, talking about me, <laughs> you know, like, so I think it's just really important to know that um, a porn is not real. Porn is not fantasy. Yeah. It is. It is make believe. There's uh, camera people in front of them. There's a director. You know, just a full set. And at any point, they will sort of have to position the actors a certain way and blah 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 blah. So I mean, that's the most important thing. And secondly, is that I think for women we just don't know our bodies enough especially the pleasure parts of our body like we we don't know i for one i didn't know that the clitoris has a whole body yeah it looks like a wishbone yeah <laughs> it's like it has a whole body that's looking inside of us right the only thing we see is the head of the clitoris so 
I asked on Instagram if anyone had questions for you. And one question which came up was, is it true that the clitoris is 10 centimeters long? And at first I was like, this person is having me on. And I Googled it and I saw what exactly the whole clitoris looks like. And it is indeed 10 centimeters long around. Um, and it's, as you say, it's, it's, it's got, there's a word for it. Like, Oops. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it looks a little bit like a wishbone. Um, yeah. And it grows with our bodies too. So it oh. grows with our bodies. So like, you know, it, it can grow um, as we grow older, it actually grows with our body. And so, and the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings and it connects to different parts of our bodies too. Like it connects to different nerves within our body. So that's why when we have an orgasm, it like doesn't only center around our vulva, it actually will go until like our, our pelvic bowl, like, you know, like the whole, like our uterus area and stuff like that. It's kind of, oh, it can kind of go throughout our body as well just really powerful versus so like the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings and the penis has about 4,000 nerve endings which is half of the clitoris and the only purpose the main purpose of the clitoris is pleasure it's not for anything else so I mean and that is mind-blowing for me to know when I knew about this at first because you know we've always been told to suppress our sexuality we've always been told to like you know don't be a whore you know like women shouldn't be like this only men can like men are like sexual and everything like that but then knowing that our clitoris is twice the amount of, of nerve endings that that of a penis is really fascinating and that our level of orgasm when we have orgasm you know, for the men, it's like 50%. Our, our 50% is 100% for them. And we can go further than that. And that was just like, whoa. And we have different we have different ways to sort of pleasure ourselves in a sense, not just clitoral stimulation, but there's also vaginal stimulation, there's nipple stimulation, there's different parts of erogenous zones too. And also, just like the penis, the clitoris gets erected as well clitoris does get engorged does get erected and more often than not what happened is that you know we heard of premature ejaculation but there's such thing as premature penetration where we're penetrated i mean this is assuming that you're in a um, heterosexual relationship right and so we're not even fully engorged or we're not even fully quote-unquote hard or erected we just was we would be like okay you know what i'm wet therefore penetrate me but then you need to be both wet and engorge. Um, you feel like that throbbing sensation down there in your vulva. It means that your body is ready for penetration or like, you know, whatever that is. Okay. So that could be why a lot of women um, find sex uncomfortable sometimes because they're being penetrated too early. Yeah, when your body is not fully ready yet and you straight away penetration, um, they, they would say like, um, I read somewhere or I've learned somewhere, arousal for men and women are very different. For for men, arousal is like fire. It starts from the bottom and it burns upwards. So like that's why for men, their concentration on their pleasure, they would go, want you to go straight to the penis area. Not all men, but like some men, um, most men, they want to focus on their penis because that's where the area and arousal kind of builds up but then for women our arousal is kind of like a waterfall so you kind of start from the head up so that's why I think we're more into 
again, not all women, but um, I mean, I personally love a bit of sort of like kissing and touching, kind of caressing and slowly working yourself way down. But then a lot of the times what happens is that our partners will straight away go down and it's just like, wait, 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 well, like I'm not even fully, you know, like ready. My body's not ready yet. So yeah, just kind of knowing that was interesting for me. Yeah. I think it also explains why men and women sometimes struggle to have conversations about what they want in bed because we feel I mean clearly from what you said we we feel and we experience sex completely differently um so it's so difficult for us to understand I mean I think it's I think it's much easier for women to understand what men want probably because they're very vocal about it and everything is centered kind of in one place I think they have fewer erogenous zones than women do uh, I think also like as as a, I think also we've been conditioned women to to sort of give and kind of uh, help or like making sure everyone's okay, taking care of people, taking care of our partner's needs and stuff like that. Um, so that's why when the tables are turned and when our partners are the one who kind of wants to give to us certain things or want to take care of us, we feel a bit like, okay, thank you, I appreciate it, but then. But then, you know, at the same time, we feel a sense of guilt, you know. Um, and so it's just us sort of like really breaking that sort of um, what we've been taught all this while, that we too deserve pleasure. We too can have pleasure and we can have pleasure. I mean, this is really this is really obvious when we have when we masturbate, for example. It's so easy for us to have an orgasm through masturbation versus with a partner sometimes. Also, like when you're with a partner, it's also kind of understanding that majority of women or majority of vulva havers, um, we will have a we will have orgasm through clitoral stimulation. And then what porn shows us is that a lot of women in that porn would have orgasm through penetration alone. But in reality, only 20% of vulva owners can have penetrative stimulation and come. <laughs> Whereas, you know, we need clitoral stimulation. So just understanding that and not focusing so much on the penis, not focusing so much on penetration and focusing on other things um, will help too. So is this what you mean when you talk about the pleasure gap? What is the pleasure gap? Yeah, exactly. That, that is exactly what it is. So the pleasure gap is essentially what the word entails. Like uh, there's a gap in pleasure. So you can look at this two ways. One is pleasure gap uh, between the different genders and sexualities, different genders especially. And another one is pleasure gap between um, solo sex and partner sex. So it shows that um, there was a study that they made. I think I can't remember from the American sexual health um, I can't remember exactly what the study is, but I remember it was about 10,000 over American adults. What they found is that pleasure gap between, you know, men, um, hetero straight men, straight women, bisexual men, um, gay men, women, and everything is very, very different. And so like, the ones that are highest in the chat when it comes to always having an orgasm during partnered sex is straight men with, I think, 96% or something, 98%. Um, I need to look back at the numbers, but I remember it was in the 90s. And then, and then followed by like gay men and followed by like bi men and women and then lesbian women. And then the lowest in the spectrum is straight women with 68%. Oh, no. So that's like the huge pleasure gap. And then there's also the gap, like I said, between partner sex, sex with your partner 
versus when you have masturbation or solo sex. Okay, so then let's talk about the numbers when it comes to solo sex for heterosexual women. Are they scoring higher than 67% or, or whatever it is? I believe they do. I don't have the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure that it says that, yeah, they do. But don't quote me on that. But I, I believe personally, because this is my experience, yes. <laughs> As an aside here, after our chat, I went on to find out that there was a number of studies on the pleasure or orgasm gap. The study Jasmine is talking about comes from a 2017 paper from the Archives of Sexual Behavior, which looked at data from over 52,000 American adults. It found that heterosexual cisgender women were the least likely demographic to orgasm during sex, climaxing only 65% of the time compared to straight cisgender males who were 95% likely to orgasm. Lesbian women reported climaxing 86% of the time during partnered sex. Um, So I think this is a nice time to uh, segue into, we had a few questions. I had a few questions from um, some of um, our listeners uh, who When I told them that we were going to have this chat, I invited people to send in questions that they might have for you. And one which came up often was about how to love your body after childbirth. Many women, myself included, um, struggle with our postpartum bodies and then therefore struggle with intimacy postpartum because we're not comfortable with the way our body looks and and things, uh, things feel different after you give birth. So what advice can you give to women who feel very proud of what their body has achieved in making and birthing a child, but feel disconnected from it and are struggling to be intimate with their partners as a result? So this is a really important one. I mean, I, I, I don't get a lot of questions on postpartum. So whenever I do get this, this is, I think something that is really true to myself. Um, because my sister just gave birth last year and she's, she's struggling to sort of like, so she comes up to me and tells me all her insecurities with her body and body changes and everything like that. I personally have never been through childbirth, but just seeing the love, my loved ones going through it and sort of going through with her with it. And what I find is that there is a sense of like, it feels good to share. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, you know, keeping with yourself and just having these thoughts kind of like recycling in your head over and over again and you kind of feeling alone and feels really lonely sometimes to go through all of this. But being able to share it with people, with your partner or with friends and just, you know, talking about it with them, it sort of releases some sense of loneliness, releases some sense of kind of um not so much say insecurity, but that's the sense of like, okay, you know, I'm not alone in this journey. People understand and sort of having other people to, you know, kind of reinforce you and validate your feelings. I think those are really important. So I definitely will say, you know, really talk to people about this. Talk to your partners, especially. I think that's the most important thing is talking to your partner what exactly you're going through. Because sometimes what happens is that when you don't talk to your partner about certain things, um, some things that they do kind of like triggers you and it just makes you feel like, why did why do you touch me that way? Why do you say those certain things? You know, why, you know, you're making me feel uncomfortable and, you know, and then they're probably like, I don't really understand what you, you know, like why are you snapping at me? Right. Or, 
you know. So, and you also feeling insecure, insecure with your body. So really like talking to them and just really going through this process. Okay. I, I know you're trying to be, um, helpful, but this is what I feel. And this is why I'm insecure. Cause sometimes our partners, they, sometimes they don't know what to do. To be honest, they just, they can't read our minds. They don't know what to do. They feel hopeless. They want to help you. They think they're saying the right things. Sometimes it's just telling them like, okay, this is what I'm going through. And this is what I want you to say. Because sometimes them saying like, no, but your body is beautiful. You know, you need to remember you bring our kids to the world, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes that's sure. But then at the same time, you're like, but that's not what I want to hear. I know that, but my insecurity doesn't know that. So just letting them know what exactly you want to hear. Um, and I know it's hard sometimes because what if you yourself don't know what you want to hear? You yeah. yourself don't know what's the right words to say, but it takes practice and it's not going to be easy. So it's just kind of like really checking in with yourself. What exactly do I want to hear? What exactly do I want my partners to say? How can I talk to him or her? Um, and also just reaching out to your friends, to your other mummy friends, you know, talking to them. Like, is this also what you guys are feeling? Cause I'm feeling this way and sort of building this community. Um, yeah. And then also maybe, uh, talking to some of the other women in your community and joining a few of your clubhouse chats or, yeah, uh, join. yeah. that's where all the, that's <laughs> where all the good stuff is. Um, another question we had was about rebuilding intimacy after infidelity. Um, this listener said, my husband was unfaithful. Neither of us want our marriage to end, but I'm struggling with trust and intimacy. I feel like this is where, I mean, if you sort of have a conversation with your partner about this and trying to find a way to sort of overcome this sort of work around this, and yet you still kind of find it really difficult and it's kind of like a lingering thing inside your head because it's not only you that's going through something it's also your partner going through like this shame and this guilt and kind of like whenever they start talking to you and then they couldn't help at the back of their mind saying like okay this is what they're thinking about right now about me and what I've done before even though I've probably regretted and I, I won't do it again but this is how they look at me this way so if you have that conversation and it's not helping I think this is where professional help right will work so well like therapy um just going to that i like i thoroughly believe in therapy because you know all my friends who went to therapy and i'm thinking of going to therapy myself too to sort of understand myself and where i'm coming from because also a lot of these things a lot of this insecurity a lot of this pain also stems from something deep within us which is our childhood wounds what we went through the trigger factors and everything so really kind of thinking about going to therapy, probably a couple's therapy, probably like individual therapy and kind of work that way because, yeah, I mean, if you really want this to work, uh, professional help will go a long way. Honestly, I think uh, if you if you have the means, couple's therapy is great for all couples, even ones who don't think that they have any problems. It just can help, uh, it can help couples communicate better yeah. um, about everything. And there are cheaper options too. Um, they are like, especially in Malaysia, they have a bunch of, I mean, there are postings, uh, Instagram posts that goes around that talks about the affordable sort of therapy and counseling. Um, so, you know, really Google that and just find what are your options, right? Like therapy should be accessible to everybody. And so, yeah, if it's like not accessible to you, find the affordable, accessible one. Um. And then another question we had was about talking to our children and teenagers about sex in a healthy way. 
Um, this listener said, I want my daughter to know that female pleasure is healthy. And I want my son to know that porn is fantasy and is not the best tool for sex education. And I guess related to this question is when do we start with our children talking to them about their bodies, sexual feelings? The moment they start asking you questions. It, there's no particular age of like how old is too old or how young is too young. I think I believe in teaching kids as, as young as possible to just start off with like, again, age appropriate education, right? Like you start off with like naming your body parts, the different parts of your bodies and, and, you know, gradually sort of working your way up to like, you know, the pornography um, conversation come in um, as and when you want it to come in, like when you feel comfortable, when they already have a, when they can access, you know, internet on their own or when you found them with a pornographic material, um, like when it comes to pleasure, just having that conversation, like, oh, why, why do you feel like when you're touching yourself? It, like a lot of the times what, you know, my parent followers come up to me, they would always say like, oh, I found my toddler touching themselves, you know, like masturbating, like, oh my God, like my toddler is a horny, a horny young child. <laughs> and then, you know, m one of the things I always tell them is that first of all, the most important thing for a lot of parents and also like parents, um, adults who do not necessarily have children, but like are like aunties and uncles or like, you know, um, I think the most important thing is to really remove that adult lens. Yeah. What happens is that we tend to put in our adult lens and look at our child touching themselves and therefore they are horny. But if you remove that and really go down to the level and just really, you know, thinking to yourself, like, yeah, it, it does feel good when you touch yourself, right? Like that, that's understandable. And so just really talk like, oh, why, why is it like that? Why do you feel good? So, um, I would say like, it's really amazing that this particular, like the person who asked this question really want to advocate that really want to create this like sex positive environment. So just really talk to them about it. Like, Oh, have you heard of like porn? Have, have anyone ever like showed you videos and stuff like that? Let's have a conversation. What do you think it is? Um, and do you feel weird about it or what emotions? Just really asking them open-ended questions, not really blaming them or like guilting them. Because this is what happens, right? Most of the time we're like, oh, you watch porn. You're not ashamed, is it? <laughs> like, how embarrassing. Like, you think I didn't teach you good enough, is it? I give you internet and access, you know, all these things. And what's that's going to happen? That's not going to make the child feel safe around you. They can't come to you to talk to you because they will just be like, oh, they're going to guilt me. My parents is going to guilt me. So if you go in with them, when they tell you like, mom, what's porn? You'd be like, oh, what do you think it is? What do you, you know, kind of have that. And then just really be honest to them about it and be age appropriate too. So you don't have to say like, oh, do you know that the actors are paid this way and they perform this way? You don't really have to go that, but you just say like, oh, do you know, like, Superman, you know how like they're flying inside the movies? Yeah, that's, you know, that's not real. That's like make-believe. The same thing as porn. It's not real. It's make-believe. Yeah. And one of the, um, the side effects of online learning um, and having so much device-led work and learning over the past year is that we might find we're going to have to have these conversations earlier than we were expecting because our kids are spending so much more time on devices on the internet and it's easier to it's easier to wade into porn accidentally even yeah actually i mean as much as porn is a concern it's actually not the main thing i mean for me personally my main concern when it comes to kids and devices it's mm. actually like the um the games that they play online when they're able to chat with people yes and you don't know who they are 
you know, find more information about you. And it would eventually tell you, tell you like, okay, let's, let's move this chat to like telegram or like whatever. Right. And don't tell your parents about it. I'm here for you. You know, all these things, those are the most dangerous and scary things. And also don't send your pictures to people too. Right. Like your nudes and everything. I remember my 13 year old cousin sent pictures of himself face and full nude pictures to a girl who was much more older than him and understandably so like I mean an older girl likes you uh, a 16 year old girl likes you that's really that's great right so yeah so teaching them about internet safety and online safety is important and grooming I also I think uh, internet safety and online safety is important for adults too so just over the last 18 months when so much dating has been happening online and meeting new people has been a challenge except online. What are some of the issues around online dating that you think women should be aware of? Uh, so I personally am going through online dating right now. And so what I found personally is that me being someone who did online dating for the past 10 years on and off, um, the most, the big thing is catfish. So like catfish basically is someone, uh, a catfish is someone who uses fake profile, fake pictures, fake stories about them, post it online and become this entirely different person. Right. And they have stories about them and you think that's true. And then they will like ask you for pictures and stuff like that. And you never know where your pictures will end up, right. If talking about nudes and stuff like that. So those are very important. So it's really, um, important for you if they, you know, to, to have them prove themselves that they are real people. So like I did a post on, um, sending nudes, for example, or like being catfish, for example, on my Instagram page, just explains. And some of the things that people were saying about, um, how do you know if you're being catfish or not? So one of the things that you can do is to ask them to take like a weird picture, kind of like, oh, uh, can you take a picture of you holding a spoon with a book on your head um, and a peace sign, for example? Something that they're not going to be able to find online. Something they're not going to be able to find online. Or they could also have a, like, write something on the paper. Hey, Jasmine, this is me. And show it on like um, the picture or just have a video chat, right? That's the most important thing. Have a video chat. So catfishes are like, are big and it's very important to kind of know if you're being catfish or not um the second thing is also like also trusting in your gut right like if you feel like there's something wrong about this person the story doesn't add up most more often than not it's probably a catfish and secondly is predators there are predators online everywhere right now like i was my friends and i we were there we met someone who was being predatorial towards us so would always would always want to send um his penis picture would always push for us to to us to see it um and it would like ask us for pictures sometimes but not all the time but they just want to see um they just want us to see their pictures so we didn't know that he was being predatorial not only towards me but towards the other girls until we start talking to each other so again talking to each other talking to your community telling like hey this person is doing this um is this normal is it okay and also your boundaries right your consent and your boundaries and just being not being too nice. I think that's more often than not, we teach girls and women to be, to prioritize comfort over safety, 
right? So comfort meaning you don't want to be awkward, you don't want to be uncomfortable, you just would say like, oh, it's okay next time, it's okay, I'm not in the mood right now. But in reality, you should say like, hey, I don't really like that you keep on pushing to send me pictures. If you would like to continue this friendship, then you have to respect my boundaries. These are my boundaries. You know, ask me first if you want to send me something. So just really enforcing that boundaries, even online and even offline. Yeah. And ask me first if you're going to send me nudes. Um, Because, yeah, uh, many women don't like receiving unsolicited nudes. I know men like it. So then there's clearly some confusion here about the fact that women's boundaries and men's boundaries where that's concerned is different. Actually, men, a lot of times like men always feel whenever I talk to my male friends or like followers and I ask them, do you have any boundaries? And it would always be like, no, I don't have boundaries. I'm an open book, blah, 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 like that. And then when I tell them like, well, would you do this, this sexual act? Would you do that sexual act? Would you do this? And they're like, oh no, I'm not comfortable with that. So it's kind of like everybody has our own boundaries, just kind of understanding and knowing our boundaries and also as women to also respect the, you know, our partner's boundaries as well. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And ask, ask before you send nudes. Ask before you send nudes. (laughs) That's the bottom line. So given this journey that you've now taken and the community that you've built, uh, the body positive and sex positive community that you've built, and then some of the issues around, you know, shame that you had to go through growing up, if you could go back in time and give a younger Jasmine some advice, what would it be? Trust in your gut, I feel, is the main one. I think trust in your gut and whatever it's, uh, you know, it's telling you. Yeah. Because it's there for a reason. It's there to be, it's there to make you safe. Yeah. You know, and also um, your boundaries are important. Just really advocating for that. Like your boundaries are important. You know, don't don't think so much about making that a person uncomfortable and being in an uncomfortable situation because, you know, you're making yourself uncomfortable and that's not fair for you. Yeah, that's right. And and if that person, um, if that person has a problem with you putting up a boundary there, then it's not a relationship or a friendship that's, that's going to work in the long term. No, that's true. Because if you go out of your way to make the other person comfortable and to ensure that they're like, they're okay and everything's fine, everything like that, but then you knowing that they don't do the same to you. And in fact, they get angry at you for setting up a boundary. Um, yeah, exactly what you said. It's not worth it. Not the friendship's not worth it. The relationship's not worth it. In fact, you have to look into, you know, this is a problem. This is a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, what is, what is next? What is next for you? What is next for Jazz Explains? What's next for, I wish someone told me. What is next for me um, and my platform? I think I personally want to build the community and make it bigger and stronger. That's the main aim. Um, I really want to grow Just Explains in that way and just really be able to create more of a sort of international sort of conversation surrounding this particular topic, Southeast Asian, especially from the Southeast Asian narrative and lens, because there are a lot of conversations on sex and sexuality in our bodies and intimacy and all that, but in not so much like within in the Western sort of ideas, ideals and thoughts and stuff like that, which is great. But then I just really want to localize it, especially in Malaysia. 
So yeah, more conversation, a bigger audience, a bigger community, just bringing people together, and hopefully one day we could do sort of like an in-person festival kind of thing, a sexual sexual health, sex positivity festival, and just really also break that shame and stigma and taboo. Um, which is why I'm really excited for this month in particular because I'm going to do a clubhouse room with doctors. So doctors are going to come in and, you know, whatever questions that people have about sexual health because September is sexual health month. And so I wanted to have this conversation with doctors. And at the end of the month, we will be having a panel discussion um, with sex positive advocates and educators from Southeast Asia. So we have speakers from Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, kind of coming in together and just really have the space, a safe space for us to talk about these things. So that's the big goal. Ah, that's <laughs> great. Um, I'm really looking forward to those conversations. And I will be also posting the details of those conversations on my Instagram and also in my community. So if anybody wants to join in, then, then they can. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. So thank you so much, Jasmine, for your time. This has been such a fun chat um, and, yeah, and really, really helpful. Um, I I love that your advice is really honest. um, And I also love that you you take conversations around boundaries um, and around having conversations about what it is you do and do not want um, with your body or with sex or with intimacy really seriously. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, Lena. Thank you for tuning into my conversation with Jasmine. If you found this chat interesting or helpful, please share it with a friend and click follow if you are listening on Spotify or subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts. And I'll be back next week. Bye.